house looks just like the one next to it. And the one next to that. And the one next to that. A young couple live in it. Give Ken a kiss. <laughs> you are so unlucky. With their three children. <laughs> and something more. Something's funny going on here next door. Something, uh... We were wondering if maybe you had experienced any disturbances. Hey everybody, it's the Cannon Cruisers. I'm JD. And I'm Randy. And in our continuation, our final episode of the family-friendly horror mm-hmm. uh, streak we've been on, mm-hmm. we're, today we're going to be talking to you about a little-known movie... Directed by little-known director, not Steven Spielberg, Toby Hooper. Mm-hmm. That's right, folks. We went back to 1982 and checked out Poltergeist. Yep. And so we've already covered about four of his other movies. Why not cover the one that's probably his most well-known one? Outside of the four others that we covered. Yes, which are also pretty well-known. But I think this one is the most well-known and we figured, well, since we're doing quote-unquote family-friendly, why don't we go with the least family-friendly that is still family-related horror movie? We, we, we... Okay, so I'll admit it. This was all one big long joke just so that we could watch the PG <laughs> poltergeist. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the joke is that it's family-friendly because it's PG, which mm-hmm. it's not, not very really. family-friendly in the slightest. No. Uh, and it is quite disturbing mm-hmm. and quite terrifying, mm-hmm. and it would be abuse to make your children watch this film. <laughs> Do not watch this film uh, with kids. Uh, no, you can. It's fine. You'd, you'd watch People watch uh, Hostel with their children. You'd I'd be watching that with your kids either. But, but uh, outside of a few overly gory moments in this film, that it really is a PG movie. But it is terror to children. (laughs) It terrorizes children in this film. just saying it on the base level, like, well, there's not really much gore or swearing or sex, so it's okay. It's, well, sure, if that's as far as you go with the way you look at stories and movies. This is very much the uh... most extreme (laughs) that you would want your child uh, younger than their teens. Maybe even their their tweens, if you you want them to get a little bit more (laughs) intense. This that I would allow to watch. This is definitely in the upper limit of that sort of thing. It would be if you thought the Watcher in the Woods was intense, no. dear lord. Of the ones we've watched for this special, this is the most intense one. It's not even close. <laughs> and I'm going to admit right off the bat that this is the first time I've ever seen Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. So I don't have that uh, history with it that a lot of people have as seeing it as their kids because. Mm-hmm. For some reason, elementary schools would randomly play this because they look and go, "It's PG. This isn't scary." And then a guy rips his face off. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a bit. It was very ubiquitous back in the day. Even if um, you didn't see the movie itself, considering a lot of this was referenced everywhere else. Like, there's a lot of points <laughs> when we're watching this film. I go, "Oh, now I get that reference. Mm-hmm. I get that reference now too." So we've nattered on enough here, JD. Why don't you tell our Canon Cruiser audience? Mm-hmm. What this film is about. Well, if for some reason 
you don't know a whole lot about Poltergeist, despite knowing anything about 80s movies or horror movies or <clears throat> anything from this time period we've covered. Even I knew the basics <laughs> of this film without having seen it because Poltergeist of Osmosis. Is one of is probably, I would say, of all the movies we've covered, the most well-known movie we've covered so far. And we've covered a couple of really known, well-known ones. But I think this is I mean, probably... we covered Groundhog Day, but that's because I was doing yeah. another podcast where I was watching it every week for a year. But I think this it. one is the most well-known. And the reason for that is because it's very ubiquitous movie that everybody knows. It's a story about a family that suddenly seems to get haunted by some sort of a ghost and their daughter disappears into, it seems, the house itself and they have to figure out how to get her out. So they end up communicating with the ghosts. Things go crazy. And that's the movie. Yeah, it's two hours of slow burn until mm. suddenly a guy's ripping his face off uh, chicken uh, chicken wings are spewing maggots. Um, steak is steak, eating itself ste- out. Steak is eating itself while <laughs> crawling across a counter. Uh-huh. Um, ghosts are coming out of the walls. The walls are bleeding. Yeah. Uh, a demonically possessed clown doll is trying to choke out a child underneath a bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, a tree is trying to eat a child. <laughs> it's a terrifying film. And then... A, Corpses crawl out of the ground to pull a woman under it. Yeah, she falls into an empty pool that's being built and there's all skeletons crawling all over the place. And then you find out the trope. Namer. Yeah. It's a, Indian it, burial ground. There's a lot of that in this movie. Because at the time, not that, not that done, not done before, a lot of this stuff. And even despite that, even despite the fact that all of these tropes were done after this about a hundred times, it's still probably the best example of those. And we have to look at the uh, big obvious thing in the room here. Mm-hmm. Poltergeist, the title of the film, is a misnomer. Yeah, and that's a very They, they literally one. tell you, like, when, when they introduce the parapsychologist character, Dr. Lesh, she literally tells him that it's like, no, this seems to be a poltergeist situation, not a haunting. And poltergeists are associated, are, are stuck to a specific person in your house, mm-hmm. which appears to be your daughter. And, they and then they find out at the end that it's, oh no, actually it is a haunting, not a poltergeist. Yeah, because remember also the line, they could leave tomorrow, just out of the blue. And that ends up being the way the movie kind of ends. Oh, you mean the house is clean! Yeah, the, the false, house is clean! The false ending, which is, well, I want to get to that one in a bit, but I just say in general... Every trope you know about these sorts of movies more or less originates here. It's like very much in the tradition of haunted house movies, but... Just watch that episode of uh, of The Simpsons, uh, of Treehouse of Horror, that smashes this movie up with Amityville Horror. Oh, there's a lot of that. But it also, like I said, adds a lot of different like modern touches, including some uh, pretty interesting uh, tropes, I think, that they managed to squeeze out of this one in a way that... I almost didn't really remember because I haven't seen this movie in a while, but it was great then and it's great now. Yeah, and I'll say as first time seeing that it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. It's definitely earned its fame and, well, might as well just say this before we get into anything further. There, for some reason, a long time ago, people had it in their heads that Steven Spielberg directed this movie and not... People still movie. believe that he's, he directed this movie. And since we've watched a lot of movies on here including three other toby hooper movies four actually that um this is a toby hooper movie (laughs) it's through and through there's so much in this movie where he's like okay yeah 
this is definitely something he would do. There are elements you watch and go, yeah, no, I'm seeing the the Spielbergian uh, tropes and mm-hmm. characters and this and that. But there's a shot composition, mm-hmm. uh, story beats, yeah. like framing that is all very clearly Hooper. Yeah, it is because the the most influence that Spielberg had was that it was originally an idea he had for a uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind sequel. Yeah, which was gonna be, which was gonna be a spiritual sequel, mm-hmm. and which he was gonna call Night Skies, and yeah. it's and and the whole thing was based on his talks he had with um, I can't remember the parapsychologist at the time that he talked to for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, mm-hmm. but on the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter, the the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins, yeah. where a family was terrorized over twenty four hours by strange extraterrestrial goblin like creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what he was going to do. And that script eventually morphed into E.T. Yeah. Uh, but Very originally Toby Hooper <laughs> mm-hmm. was consulting with him on it. And he goes, no, if we're going to do a spiritual sequel to uh, Close, Close Encounters, it's like, I don't want the sci-fi aspect. I want to do a horror aspect. And that's how we slowly made our way into Poltergeist territory, mm-hmm. where you get the characters that you might have seen in Close Encounters. The movie I haven't seen, mm-hmm. but I know very well through uh, cultural that's osmosis. Thing where you know the um, But once you get the parapsychologist character and her assistance, you start seeing the people that you you see in Close Encounters when they get their parapsychologist, ufologists, mm-hmm. and all those people start in there. And the very like background basis of mm-hmm. the pseudoscience, the science that 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 takes place yes and the whole thing with this movie is that he very clearly wanted it to be a horror movie not just like horror influenced or with you know a little bit of that but mostly it's like an adventure movie. no this is a full-on horror movie everything about the movie it does everything in its power to keep tension going and to make things escalate at every opportunity it can until everything goes off the rails. And then you think it's solved, but it's not actually solved. Yeah, the false ending that JD uh, talks about. Yeah. Um, so before we start hopping into mm-hmm. the, our highlights, lowlights, and our discussion of the ending, I just wanted yeah. to make sh- people aware of who the movie stars. So like we mm-hmm. said, it was directed by Ho- Hooper with a screenplay by Spielberg, Michael Grace, and Mark Victor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it stars... Oh, yeah, it's got quite a cast. It has a really a, a cast. Joe Beth Williams. Mm-hmm. Craig T. Nelson. Mm-hmm. Beatrice Strait as Dr. Lesh. Mm-hmm. Dominic Dunn, which we'll come back to in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oliver Robbins. Mm-hmm. Heather O'Rourke, who we also will be coming back to in a little R. bit. R. And Zelda Rubinstein mm-hmm. as Tangina Barons, a, a medium. Yeah. One of the best characters in the movie. <laughs> she her uh, Her lines are just too good. The house is clean. <laughs> yeah, she has a lot of those in the movie. But yeah, the the movie is absolutely stacked. Like this this is like when um, the guy who made Texas Chainsaw Massacre is told, "Here you go. Here's a budget to do what you want." And wow. and, and the thing is, is at the time <laughs> I'm listing off these cast members, they're all relative unknowns at this point. At this here. time, yeah. At this time, is it? This movie started a lot of tropes and it pu- pushed a lot of names out there. And it gave Zelda Rubenstein work because this movie went on to spawn a trilogy of films oh, in which she was a part of every single film. Mm-hmm. Though it has nothing to do with, like, Toby Hooper or anything like that. No. It didn't have anything to do beyond the first one. I'm honestly surprised that the other two Poltergeist films aren't canon films, uh, <laughs> just because of that's how things usually worked. To be fair, they probably would have been better if they were. <laughs> that's saying something. So, Randy, why don't we just go into 
general impressions. We've talked more or less about the movie from start to finish, vague brushes, but generally, since you've never actually seen this movie before, what was your general impression watching it? I was generally surprised mm-hmm. because I I was aware, like I said, through cultural osmosis, my favorite word when talking mm-hmm. about popular culture, that this was influential on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But until watching it, I wasn't that aware of how <laughs> influential this movie was on other movies and television God. and stories. There's and a lot. yeah, there's a lot in this. Movie. Uh, there are visuals that I'm like, oh, okay, I know where that came from in this random cartoon show that's not The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Like, there's even shots in there that are not from the horror elements of it where you go, no, they this they were clearly making a reference to this specific mm-hmm. shot in the kitchen here, mm-hmm. yeah, in this show times. here. Several times in the movie. That's one of the things I noticed when I was re-watching it, because like I said, I've seen the movie before, but I don't remember exactly what my initial impression was other than, you know, it's a good movie, I'd like to watch it again. But watching it again, is there's a lot in this movie to take in. And a lot of it I wasn't really expecting to to think about. But, like, I like the general theme that they had about... Think about where the movie starts. They're all asleep. They're all basically, for lack of a better way of saying it, slobs. You know, they have the food all over the place. They're half sleeping. The parents... The father is asleep in, in yeah. the chair in front of the television, the which had already played... stuff off yeah. the floor. Which, which, and the, the thing's already playing the mm-hmm. static. Like, it already finished playing the, the uh, outro of the... Oh, say Like, the, yeah. the Stars and Stripes. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that at the beginning. And then it goes into the neighborhood, which is the same sort of thing. One of the first things you see is the uh, the guy on the bike carrying the beer, and the kids go out of their way to try to screw with him and mess him up. And right after it's that, it's suburbia. It's it's you would see this again in the burbs, like this this type of framing. Yeah, but they t- he takes the stuff in, he gives it to you know they're all busted cans and all that, and they're yelling at him at the same time. They're, they're, the channel's changing because the neighbor is changing the channel for him because we're we're supposed to think it's a fake out. We're like, mm-hmm. oh hey, it's it's already started the haunting. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's. But that, that thing also sets up the rest of the movie, which is there isn't a whole lot in the way of respect for neighbors in this film, which is a big theme. You don't think about the first time you see it, but it's very obvious that there's a lot of it in that everybody who comes into their house, for instance, is always taking their food and eating it without ever asking. Every single person that there's comes There's a lot of not... Us. Actually, I wouldn't even say respect for neighbors. I would say respect for other people in general. Just generally, I, I would say. Like, you literally have <laughs> the Teamsters working on their yard, poking into the window, tasting their food, literally and ha- drinking away. directly out of her coffee cup with her back turned. Which happens, every, like I said, every single time there's a new character... At some point, they're taking food from them without asking. It's or, yeah, it's they're making themselves subtle, at home. It's such a subtle little thing, but like every time I notice, like like um, the black guy just randomly in the background, you see him in the corner. He's just eating like this out of their pot, and it's like didn't have to be there, but you know why it's there, and it's just like wow. That's it, JD. It's all one big metaphor <laughs> for how land was taken from the native people. At when the time of colonization, which is very much the truth here because the movie is the trope namer for well, Indian in, burial ground. Indian, Indian burial ground. But also because there's a very good reveal when that happens, not near the end of the movie, it's a, it's a bit before then, where they're on a hill and they're just like talking about n- about new construction new and this will be your new house. And, he's, and he points to the fence saying, your house could be here and you can look out over the... Uh, 
the valley or whatever if this is what you want. And it just pulls back out to reveal that it's a graveyard and it's and it's like graves there. There's people buried there. And then he just like eventually puts two and two together. Like, wait a minute. Did you bear, did you build on other burial grounds? And I, I don't remember if he said it specifically or outright. But yeah, he said, he said that we moved it. It was, but we moved them. And then you yeah. don't find out till the very end of the movie that what didn't move actually it. happened. Did you catch the the little bit of foreshadowing that happens there before he asked that question, though? Which bit? When they pull back to reveal the graveyard, mm-hmm. there is a tree in the graveyard that looks very much like the tree that's in their mm-hmm. backyard that they've said has been standing there for hundreds of years and has yeah. never been disturbed. Yeah, because their house, which is the one that is affected, the first, the very first house. is the first house that was built there. And so, it only happens after they break ground a second time to go deeper. Yeah, and when they bury uh, another dead creature in the yard, which is also foreshadowing when it gets unburied uh, by accident later on mm-hmm. by the Teamsters. Like I said, there's there's a lot going on, and it's it's very well done in how it's there, but you don't really notice it unless you focus it's on it. It's subtle. It's very subtle, and in, and in a very good way, because the rest of the movie is just a family dealing with a haunting. <laughs> like, if you just focus on that... You'll get that, but everything around it really strengthens that that core of the of the film. Which I'm I'm gonna go straight into highlights on this one. My favorite highlight of the movie is how much of it they spend basically on the pseudoscience aspect, trying to figure out how to get her out of the I don't even know how you say it spirit dimension because they don't really give it a name out, out of the out of the other world. Yeah, my guess out of limbo. Out of limbo. Say that out of limbo. And what it ends up happening is you've got a lot of really cool moments and lines and all that. Head for the light. Don't head for the light. Head for the light. That's a very key part of the movie too. And I don't think I don't think it's really it's not again it's a subtle thing. They don't really expand upon it, but it's that they're dealing with the unknown at the end of the day. And though very often they seem to know what they're doing. A lot of it is guessing based on past experiences because what it leads to is the false ending of the movie, which is my favorite part of the movie because it doesn't just like, okay, it just started up again. No, it didn't just start up again. It started up like 20,000 times worse. Because we're, we suddenly are reminded of, like, of the earlier things like, yeah, no, it poltergeist activity sometimes will just stop and then it'll start back up again. Mm-hmm. And... Because what happens is they steal they steal the child back from them. It stops, mm-hmm. and then as soon as the person that is seen as the power, the authority in the house is gone, yeah, they start up again. And the children and the wife who have been the most affected are the only ones there, and mm-hmm. it has them cornered. Then it starts off with extreme extreme, and malice, it only yeah. starts. To when the big reveal of the them being on top of the actual background and so not being you, moved is when they're driving home when he's driving home with the big boss of the developer zone. It's like that yeah. realization is like, wait, you didn't move them. Hey, the, when it, the last lines in the movie is when he's yelling at him saying, "You just moved the headstones, didn't you?" And that also, like I said, no respect for others. That's yeah, and that's the other thing too is earlier in the movie, like I said, when they're talking about it all this stuff all the time. There's a lot of that, and I actually really like that. But what I really like about the, the final part when it comes back is that there's almost no real talking about it. Like there's 
you move the headstones. That's the most memorable line after that part because after you moved the headstones, didn't you? After that part, it's literally just we don't know what the hell this is, and we're just trying to get out of here and survive. I uh, know. I, I th- pretty much think the the uh, them yelling "Get in the damn car!" Yeah, and then it's probably more memorable than you just you didn't move the head you just moved the headstones, didn't you? Yeah, and then like they drive out of there, and there's no more lines for the rest of the movie. Don't look back, and they just walk into their hotel room and just push the TV out. The thing that started this whole mess. I will say that I, I respect the restraint for that as they're pulling away that the TV didn't turn on. No. I will respect that restraint. No, that would have been that wouldn't have made any sense. It would have been too. Yeah. Then it would have brought it back around to it being an actual poltergeist because it's following. Yeah. yeah. Which wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense because, again, there's no real reason to specifically attach to anybody in that house, especially over uh, some of the other characters in the movie. And the whole point is that it's supposed to seem like it's random. Until it turns out it's not actually random, but at the same time, it's not specifically personal. But like I said, the whole the whole thing with the end point is my favorite part of the movie because it's really well belled up to and Toby Hooper shows a lot of restraint up to that point. And when he gets to that point, he just goes all out and there's like no mercy at all. Yeah, uh, like I'll, I'll agree with you there. With that, he he has no mercy. He just goes straight out. Mm-hmm. It's like you see you see apparitions. You see a demonic psycho doll trying to kill a child. Mm-hmm. You see uh, actual skeletons, real life human skeletons, mm-hmm. uh, not plastic because it was more expensive. Mm-hmm. To crawling out of the mud and grabbing onto her. You see graves and uh, you, you see uh, coffins popping out of the ground. Yeah, he does not show restraint. And then the, and mm-hmm. then the house. Eats its own head and disappears. Yeah, because it eats itself out of uh, out of the unleashed malice, just destroys itself. Because what else is it supposed to do? Like I said, the entire movie is just and its foci is gone. Like the focus that they was having on the the family is no longer there. So the only thing it could do is eat itself. The only thing left to lash out at is itself. So that's what it does, and it destroys itself in a pretty cool effect. Because there's a lot of really cool effects in this movie as well. I'm going to go for the, uh, my highlight of the film is going to be the practical effects. Oh, yeah. Those are really good. It, 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 they, they're they outstanding. The directing directing is outstanding. The performances all around were outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you can tell, this is a really good movie. Uh, mm-hmm. The thing that impressed me, though, is that they didn't have the, the, the parapsychologists, mm-hmm. the, the people trying to help them. Yeah. There were no charlatans. There were nobody who was there trying to do something to them out of malice. They were actually there trying to help them. And even if they didn't understand what they were doing, they did everything in their power, even going to a medium and getting a medium to come in and help them. Yeah, because that's a very... Because usually in in a more modern movie, it would be, no, before they got to something good, they would have had charlatan after charlatan after charlatan. That's because it's a very modern trope. At this time, though, there wasn't really anything like that. So they just went straight to it. Which was very appreciative because, as I said, it, the thing I like about it is that it treats the unknown as it with should. respect, yeah, because it's it's unknown. Don't screw with it, or else it'll screw with you. And it that's that's what it did. That's and why you don't play with a Ouija board and forget to close it when you're done. Don't don't play around with shit you don't understand. That's just that's that's the moral of the movie. Just don't do that. So yeah, all that said, we might as well go into. The other aspect of it, considering we went on highlights, what would be your low light of Poltergeist from 1982? 
going to be kind of shocking, but I don't really have any low lights for the film. It's like I, I initially I had said that it was a little slow to start in the same vein as a lot of earlier Spielberg mm-hmm. films were. Like, but then you pointed out to me, it's like, you liked Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and that's even slower to start than this film. And I realized, yeah. like, you're right. Like, this isn't that slow of a start. It's no. a build up mm-hmm. to the things that are happening. Yeah. So it's like, that's maybe the worst I can say is that it's a little slow, but not overly so. But other than that, I don't really have anything bad to say about the film. Not really. It does exactly everything it wants to do, and it does it extremely well. There's not a whole lot to criticize about it. It doesn't break any promises. It doesn't uh, go out of its way to do something dumb or stupid or out there. It does everything in its power to be a horror movie. And if you like horror movies, I have a hard time imagining why you wouldn't like this movie. And like I said, this movie is not... It's like, this was all a joke. This was all one big elaborate prank on you guys to lead to this movie here. Uh, This is not a family-friendly horror movie. You can watch it with your family. And like I said, I would recommend it for more mature children. So it's like, like I said, your tweens, your early teens Mm -hmm. who are are getting their, that that have had their first steps into horror. Like, like even I would say uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, while Mm -hmm. more bloody and gorier than this one, the first one, Mm -hmm. though not by much, is probably a more appropriate entryway to horror than this one because this one here I can see it scarring people and I should tell you something considering like nobody really dies in this movie one creature dies in this film and it's a bird yeah nobody nobody ever actually dies and yet still it manages to elicit a lot of the movie got an R rating initially for terrorizing children Mm -hmm. the children in the cast and then on appeal they went okay no now we'll give you the PG why not Though, again, it's not like Toby Hooper is unknown for that. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. If I remember, only three people die in that. Yeah, and they so, get eaten. Yeah, and it's almost all in succession those three people die too. So, And it manages to remain tension for the whole movie. In this movie, it's just a bird and every, the rest of the movie is just off the rails. And it's it's great. It's like it's like I had told you from like one of the one of the, the trivia pieces is that the initial plan until they kind of figured it was too dark mm-hmm. was that the little girl was going to die in the first act from mm-hmm. these ghosts from this thing and then basically be the poltergeist in the house I for mean, the remaining of the film and they went you know what that might be a little dark and then they just they just got into the whole thing we're going to kidnap the little girl yeah I don't think that would have worked very well it, you kind of need need her to still be present somehow to really. To really throw home how desperate it is, because otherwise it would just be depressing, really. And I don't think that works for this movie, because it's about the fear of the unknown, and depression doesn't really work for that. You need to be, you need the tense. You need to be tense. You do, you need to wonder what exactly is going to happen. This is a thrill ride movie. This is mm-hmm. a amusement park movie. You're, you've gone into the amusement park haunted house, and it is mm-hmm. built to terrify you. Oh yeah, yeah, and. It, it's great. I'm going to give it a five out of five. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like I, 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 yeah, this is a five out of five movie. This is a great movie. It's highly recommended to everybody and anybody and their family. Mm. Just not, don't show it to your four-year-old. <laughs> don't show it to kids who are too young because. And impressionable, you don't want really, them to be yeah. completely terrified of trees for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Or closets. Or. Clown um, dolls. Clown dolls or steak. Or chicken chicken wings wings or their face. Uh, They're afraid that their face is going to suddenly start sloughing off. Or or pools. Oh, God. (laughs) Or skeletons. Man, you don't want them scared of skeletons. There's a lot. Um, Almost everything in this movie. Television static. Oh, wait. They don't have to worry about that because that doesn't exist anymore. Rest in peace, my love. 
Yeah. And that's where we're going to talk about one little thing that's mm-hmm. always important to talk about when discussing the Poltergeist movie. No, we're not going to rehash the Steven Spielberg, Toby Hooper thing again. No. We've already talked about it briefly. But we're going to talk about, rest in peace, the Poltergeist curse. Mm-hmm. Might as well explain that. Generally for the whole series. I can't believe that it's a series. <laughs> there has been six deaths uh, that mm-hmm. have been connected with it. Yeah. Though two or three of those deaths in the from the other movies of the characters were kind of expected to come. Like in one case, the guy was diagnosed with cancer prior to it and died after filming the mm-hmm. film. Another one died of like natural causes. But mm-hmm. the two biggies are from this film alone. Mm-hmm. Um, in October thirtieth uh, of nineteen eighty two, what's her name? Dominic Dunn. The one who plays the eldest daughter, Dana, in this film, mm-hmm. was, who at the age of 22 was strangled uh, terribly by her boyfriend her, and a few days later would die. Mm-hmm. Um, not long after, after this movie, did Yeah, literally not long after this movie was released. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heather O'Rourke would be able to make the other two sequels to this film, but after filming the third, would die from getting sick and basically die from sepsis. Yeah, um, then, like I said, then, then you get these other ones that are kind of reaching, they kind of died of natural causes, but very near to the end of the films. Mm-hmm. Like you get uh, a character who's a lead of the second film that dies very shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. And that you get like a lot of things like that. Yeah. You also have people who worked on the film that died shortly after making the films. You mm-hmm. have people getting injured after the making of the films. Mm-hmm. And that's because a lot of it, they connect to the idea that they used real human skeletons is, is one of the things they did. And that some of the spell that kind of like with the exorcist, some of the things that Zelda Rubenstein's character mumbles and says mm-hmm. is from actual spell work mm-hmm. that, that may have uh, influenced some of the stuff that happened on the films yeah. and that, that in other films as well. I could see that. Is there a lot um, of literally the lead movies? actor from who's native American of the second film mm-hmm. goes out and, and, and apparently this is uh this is just a story that you hear from time to time is that mm-hmm. he, they were, it was very tense on the set. Mm-hmm. Uh, things were going wrong. Okay. And on the second film. And one night after filming was done, he went on and he smudged the set. He, he burnt, he did a, a, a traditional cleaning of the whole set. And oh, okay. afterwards, the, they noticed an uptick in that people were a little bit more happier hmm. and that things weren't going as bad as often. So there, there was feel that either, it was just the psychological aspect of the film that everybody's working on the film and believes in the curse already that believed it or that he did something and affected something spiritual using the, his beliefs uh, of the, for the traditional cleaning. What a weird background to this series. <laughs> the fact that it made it to three movies and then a remake in 2015 and then that they're working on another remake because the remake of the they just did wasn't very good. That should tell you something about the power of the first movie because uh, it's definitely uh, got that reputation for a reason. There's not really a whole lot else like it, even though it has been ripped off a lot. It's still pretty much its own thing, and it's still worth watching today. And I would definitely still recommend it. All right, everybody, that's all we got for this one. So we'll see you next time for maybe a surprise? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, It's not really a surprise, but it's not going to be family-friendly, I'll tell you what. (laughs) Probably not. All right, everybody, we'll see you next time. That's right, folks. We're taking a look at Vinegar Syndrome's pornography catalog. Finally, it's happening. Emmanuel! Goodbye. We were wondering if maybe you had experienced any disturbances lately. What kind of disturbances? (laughs) 